Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Welcome, welcome to how to develop empowered managers who can run their functions without you. Uh, I'm Bill Silverman. I'm the owner of Springboard Business Coaching. And uh, I've been coaching for about 13 years. Um, this is what happens after you have a midlife crisis. <laughs> Before that, I was 25 years in corporate America, companies like Marriott and Cigna. Um, but um, decided that I wanted to do something more meaningful with my life, and this is it. It's been great. Um, and I coach contractors, mostly the owners of contracting companies, you know, landscaping and painting primarily, um, bigger than a million dollars. And uh, when I talk to owners about what they want in their business, owners of businesses that are over a million dollars, um, after they talk about profit and growth, the, the number one thing that they say is that I want a business that can run without me, a business that doesn't need my constant attention. Um, we had a, that conversation at, at the brain meld this morning about what that means, and that can mean anything. It can mean whatever you want it to mean, but that means anything from I can go away for a week and nobody bothers me. You know, I don't have to be on the phone five times a day answering problems and, and solving issues. Um, it could mean that you can take a month off and uh, not have to worry about the business, or that you, you could work 15 hours a week. Your definition, it's your definition. You can create it any way you want. But um, below a million dollars, you know, from up to about $250,000, the big question is, can I even make a, this business viable? At, from about 250 to a million, it's, uh, can I scale this business and grow it? But over a million dollars, you know, you know you can do all those things. Now you want to have business and you want to have a life, have some balance. And that's what, to me, what I think having a business that can thrive without you means. And um, the key, you know, there, there are many keys, but in my mind, one of the big keys to having a business that can thrive without you is you have to start building a management team to do some of the work that you used to do. Your business has just got too many customers, too many employees, too many uh, uh, moving parts for you to be successful in managing your business um, all by yourself. You know, up to, up to about a million dollars, that's the name of the game. You do everything. You wear every hat and solve every problem and make every decision. But beyond that, it's just the burden gets too, too tough. And some, I, I've seen owners that have been able to grow their business up to $3 million by trying to do it all themselves, but they're working 100 hours a week. And if that's your thing, great. But most people don't want that. And the way out is to start hiring managers who can actually take a chunk of the business and run it so that you don't have to do that anymore. It lessens your load. Makes sense. Usually people before a million dollars hire an office person. But then the question usually becomes, well, who should I hire next? Should I hire a salesperson to, to, to take over sales for me, or should I hire an operations person to take over operations? It just depends you know, on what you like to do and what you would like somebody else to take off your shoulders. 
But um, you can't have a business that runs without you if you're doing everything. That's the key. Um, but, you know, here's the rub. <laughs> rather than, you know, you hire these managers and then rather than have a business that, that can run without you, you end up with a group of managers that looks more like this, you know. And so some of you all can relate to this. If you're, if you're sitting next to your manager, just giggle a little bit. But, uh, but this is a problem. This is, the, you know, rather than getting a team of folks that are self-sufficient and independent, oftentimes you end up with uh, a group of managers who really still look to you for everything. And that doesn't take any weight off your shoulders. In fact, it adds to the load because now you've got extra overhead, but you're, you know, you're still doing all the things that you were doing before. So that's, that's the problem we're going to talk about today. Um, I just want a show of hands. How many of you are owners? There's a lot of owners. How many of the owners in the room are million dollar or larger businesses? And I just one more. How many of you want a uh, business that can run without you? <laughs> kind of what I thought. Uh, so here's my goal today is to show you how to do that. Um, we're going to do two things. Uh, first, I'm going to show you two real common problems that you, you as owners make that keep you from having a business that can run without you. And then I'm going to show you a three-step process that you can implement to start to help your managers become more independent and self-sufficient. And um, if you, it's important to know why your managers don't always become the self-sufficient folks that you want them to be. Because you know, if you can see that in yourself, then you can stop, you know, you can keep yourself from making the same mistakes that other people have made. And then the, the three-step process is a framework that you can start to, to use to think about what you've done and what you haven't done um, and, and change some of your behavior to create a business that runs better. Okay? And I've used this with a lot of my clients and it works. So um, and it'll, it can work for you too. So <laughs> the, you know, when I, when I talk to folks, and I talk to a lot of folks it, it, who own businesses, either my clients or other folks, and the biggest complaint that I get is that my, my managers need too much babysitting. You know, they won't make decisions, they don't know how to solve problems, they come to me for everything. They're like, you know, a gopher. <laughs> I tell them what to do, they go do it. And that's helpful, but that's not what you want if you want a business that can run without you. You want people that know how to do their job and how to run their function. So if you went away for a week or two weeks or whatever, you'd be pretty confident that they were doing the right things and uh, you'd be able to enjoy your time away. This, this by the way, this whole uh, week is like a test. <laughs> You know, it's, uh, I, I suggest that my clients take a test, you know, take a week off. Don't call in. See what happens. You know, if you do that, and I heard it like, oh, there was like a groan in the front row here. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Um, but, but if you keep working at this, you can, you'll find that, you know, the weeks get easier and easier to take. Um, 
which is kind of the dream. In fact, you know, a lot of owners that I talk to say, I don't even believe that a person or people, managers who can be independent, empowered, self-sufficient, I don't even think they exist. You know, I've hired people and I've never found somebody that can be that, that person, that can do all those things. So I, that's where I want to start. I want to start by challenging that assumption because it's not true. They're out there, um, but they're, it's, you have to think a little bit differently about how you find them and how you help them be that person that you want them to be. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about two mistakes that you make. Because there's this, there's this assumption, there's this saying, good people are hard to find, right? That puts the whole onus of their goodness on them. Like, you have no role in it. You bring them in, and if they suck, it's their fault. You had, no, you had nothing to do with that, right? But what I've found is that there are a lot of people that are, have the potential to be really good. They need systems, structures, processes, mentoring in order to rise to that occasion. So there's a mindset that I have to challenge, which is you know, that they're supposed to come in fully baked, fully cooked and all ready to go, because that's rarely the way it happens. Um, so I want to talk about two, two things that you do, and they're kind of on different ends of the spectrum. So one of the issues is just being too hands-off. You hire somebody that you expect to be a um, experienced manager, you put them in place, you go, go do your thing, and that's sort of my definition of being too hands-off. And um, it's, you know, I kind of think of it as throwing them in the deep end and hoping they can swim. How's that work? If you do that with your kids and teaching them how to, you know, swim, how's that work? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work very good. Um, and what usually happens when you do that? Yeah, it's, like, it's like, oh, you know, they go under. And then, you know, I, I, had, I coached a um, guy who owned a uh, remodeling company, big one in New York, and he ran through four operations managers before I started working with him. And he would bring them in, do, use the sink or swim method, um, they'd never raise up to his high standards. He'd get frustrated, and he'd let them go and rinse and repeat. So I asked the other folks on his team, well, what's going on there? And they said, you know, basically that's what they told me. You know, they, he just throws them into the pond, and when they don't perform, he gets frustrated with them and lets them go. Not a good model. So the reason I'm telling you this is because as I'm talking here, I want you to be thinking about, is that me? Do I do that? You know, if I had made that mistake, no. Um, the other one is being too hands-on. So we've got hands-off, other end of the spectrum, there's hands-on, and I think there's probably hybrids in between. But you're, you built your business by doing everything. You know, you're the wearing every hat, solving every problem, making every decision, get it done type of person. And if, you know, you need that skill to be to get your business off the ground. And you know, if you had a motto, it would be, if, it, if it's to be, it's up to me. right? I'm going to make this thing happen. And when you bring your, a new manager in, either promote them up or for bring them in from the outside, 
sometimes that thought process is I have to micromanage everything um, still prevails. In, in the parenting world, there's this thing called um, being a helicopter parent or a bulldozer parent. Has anybody heard that? You know, you, you pa pave the way for them so that they don't have to have any hardship. And then when they get out in the real world, they flop because they haven't had to do any of that stuff for themselves. Same thing ha happens in your business. You know, if you're doing that, you're making them helpless. You, you're not allowing them to, to stretch and grow, learn new things, make mistakes, solve their own problems. And you don't have to do this, you know, cold, you don't have to do this by just letting them do everything, but you have to kind of start to let go in order for them to grow. But if you're too hands-on, then they, they're helpless, they come to you for everything, and then you're back in the same boat. So whether you're two hands off or you're two hands on, they will underperform, and uh, you'll be back in the same situation you were in before. You, you just won't have people that can take over the function. And then, you know, oftentimes I hear people say, well, see, good people are hard to find. Well, it's sort of a self-fulfilling thing. Um, either let them sink under the water or you make them helpless and you, know, you haven't really helped them grow. And so what happens? So, so then you take on everything again. You say, well, I gotta do it, see? I, you know, I gotta do it all. So you take on more work and you solve more problems and then eventually things start to you know, fall through the cracks. You know, if there's more problems, there are more fires, you're working more hours and um, it becomes a vicious cycle and soon your business is less profitable and you're not growing and you, know, you, you feel like this guy. You're, you're exhausted, um, worn out, and you know, wondering, wondering how, why did I get into this business? You know, how, anybody ever felt like that? Be honest, come on. This is a, a revival meeting. We gotta be, we gotta be truthful here. Um, so can you, can you see yourself in that picture? I just want you to take like one second of self-reflection I'm also trained as a life coach, so this self-reflection stuff is, makes me happy. And just think about, what, do I do that? Is that part of what issue I've got? Just think about that, you know, because I want you to kind of lock that thinking in, okay? So, I think I want to just stop for one second and say, does it, what questions does anybody have? You know, I'm trying to, to leave space in the presentation for questions and somehow I always fill the time with, with uh, me talking, but does anybody have any? Is uh, profit sharing a method that they, they decide they want to do? Yeah, yeah, and we can talk more about that, but yeah, you know, having skin in the game always helps because if, if you share profit with your employees, they start to say, well, what could I do better? Because if I do that better, it's gonna make the company more profitable and then I can um, get some of that profit too. So that does help. It, it's a motivator. You know, you've got an arsenal of carrots and sticks and profit sharing is, is a good carrot that gets people to start to think a little bit more like you because, um, because everything that they do that's better 
doesn't all go in their in your pocket. It goes in theirs too. So, something to think about. So you know what would it? Oh yeah. You are. <laughs> he knows the answer to that question. He's one of my clients. <laughs> Some people take longer to learn this stuff than other people. I'm just I'm sorry. Don't get me started because I get silly. Um, yes, you can be both. And, uh, and, and it, sometimes it just, it, it's a cyclical thing. You let go. You know, they don't do what you need to do, so you, you grab back on and micromanage, and then you get sick of that, and you let go a little bit, and it just keeps going up and down. Um, yeah, definitely something that is possible. So, oh, sure. Yes. All, all, the answer to all that is yes. Um, yeah, you can, you, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but yeah, that's the answer. You know, you've got to, and it depends on the person. Some people, you get, you hire somebody that's got some experience and you can give them a little more, you, you can move a little faster. Um, if you're promoting somebody from within, you, you have to, uh, you know, clearly define what they're supposed to do, but you have to kind of give it to them in pieces because they can't handle it all by themselves. Um, okay, so so what do you do? So you you know you, you've tried to promote people, you've hired people, nothing seems to work. You know, you've been too hands off, you've been too hands on, you've done it. You know, you've done it all. So what do you do? So this is so I want to share with you a three-step process that I use. Um, and, and I use this with my clients, or I, some, I, sometimes I coach their operations person. But, but it, it's a three-step process um, that helps you move them from you know, dependent to independent and, and empowered. Um, it, I just will give you a preview. It, ta it takes a while. You know, people change and grow, and, but it's sometimes slow. But if you follow this process, it, it will work. So, and I just want to um, liken the whole thing on to, I don't know, I, the, the older I've gotten, somebody made fun of me the other day because my picture still has black hair, and they said, you need to get new pictures because you don't look like that anymore. I think I look like that, you know? But yeah, I have gray hair now. But the older I've gotten, the more I realize the parallels between um, running a business and being a parent, you know, and we could, I probably should submit a presentation for that next year. But, you know, developing empowered managers is a lot like teaching a kid how to ride a bike. It, 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 how many people have taught a kid to ride a bike? So, I have three kids. They're all grown now, but I taught them all. It's horrifying, but <laughs> but they learned, and through that process, and just through some you know studying of the whole 
thing. I've decided that there are three phases to teaching a kid how to ride a bike. Um, so I just want to go over those real quick because the parallels are pretty striking. Um, but, and, and there's some overlap between the phases, and, but the, the three phases that I think of are tra the training wheel phase, or now they have those little bikes, you know, without the training wheels. But the goal of the training wheel phase is that um, you give them some support so they don't just topple over, you know. And as you, as they get a little more um, skilled at pedaling and steering, you can raise the training wheels up so they can learn how to wobble, right? Get some confidence. That's the training wheel phase. Lots of support um, without without a chance of crashing and burning too badly. The second phase is the learning to ride phase. This is a big phase. You know, this is where you run behind the bike and you hold on to the back seat and they pedal and steer and you let go a little bit and you let go a little bit more and usually you do it in a safe place where, um, you know, the sidewalk where there's grass on either side so if they fall, they're not going to get hurt too much, you know. It's not one of those things you do in heavy traffic. Um, and, you know, and if, if you're like me, you want to knock them off the bike and ride it for them because it, it's, I don't know. If you're, if you're a parent and you've done this, you, you know, it can be heartbreaking when they don't get it right away. Um, but if you, if you keep with it, they, you know, eventually they, you're letting go and they start pedaling and you, and, you're standing there, and they're riding down the street, you know, or sidewalk. It's a beautiful thing. And that's the learning to ride phase. And you might think that that's the end of it, but it's not, because there's one more phase, and it's called independence. Um, and, and the independence phase, uh, the way I describe it is, you know, I have a son who's 37 now, but when I taught him how to ride, we live on a court. So he was able to ride around the court, and next thing he you know, he said, see you, Dad, I'm going to ride over to so-and-so's house, one of his friends, which was across a couple busy roads, and, you know, I said, no way. You, you, you know how to ride, but you don't know how to ride independently. You don't know the rules of the road. You know, you don't know all those things that you need so that you can navigate um, getting from one place to another safely. That's independence. So there's really three phases. Make sense? And all the action happens in this letting go process. It's, um, he's not grabbing, he's letting go. <laughs> it's always somebody, right? Mind in the gutter, you know. <laughs> because, because there's, <laughs> sorry. There, there's two parts to this, right? There's, there's the, um, uh, they have to learn how to ride. You've got to learn how to trust. If you don't let go of the seat, they never learn how to ride. Um, so there's this, this really difficult, challenging for parents and for owners letting go process. You know, they, uh, one of my landscape clients said, I'm not going to let somebody do things that it's going to screw up our good name. Well, that, there's no trust there. You know, and letting go is a gradual thing. You, you know, it's, um, it's not something you do all in one. 
It's something that you do gradually over time as you build trust and they build skills. So what I want to do is just kind of walk you through the three phases as it relates to your business. Because these same three phases work for your business as well as they work for um, teaching a kid how to ride a bike. So in each of these phases, I'm going to describe a little bit about it, and I'm going to give you a, one or two examples of things that you can do that will make um, the process of developing your managers so that they can be self-sufficient um, easier, less painful, more successful. Um, that okay? Anybody, uh, any questions at this point that so just charge ahead. So let's talk about the training wheel phase. And like I said, at each phase, there's something that you do, and there's something that they have to do. And by the way, I, I can put this presentation on um, the app, I think, if that would be useful. Um, so I'll do that after this. But. You know, in this phase, phase one, you're, you're, you're giving them structure and support, and they're learning sort of the basic skills. And the one thing I'll say about this is that, you know, if, if you hire an experienced manager in, you, you may not have to spend as long on each phase. Um, oftentimes when you bring experienced managers and you find out they're not as experienced as you expected, or they don't do things the way you want to, so there's some you know, remedial work that needs to be done, but, but all three of these phases apply. They overlap, but so what do I mean? You know, there are two things I want to just share with you um, when I talk about basic skills. You know, most managers, if you promote them from within, or even if you hire them from outside, um, they don't have all the management skills that they need. It's, it's a puzzle to them. And so, it's really important that you make sure that you spend time with them to train them on the basics of, of how to be a manager. So just going to share with you a few things that, that I think are important, and there are others, but these are things that, that I work on with my clients. And one of them is just, how do you manage? <laughs> you know, what, a lot of people don't, they get promoted to being a manager, but they don't know what a manager means. You know, getting work done through other people is what managers do. You know, you don't promote them up to another level so that they can jump in and do the work for all the people that work under them. So they don't know how to do that. They, they need to learn how to delegate, how to hold people accountable, how to have meetings, and all those, you know, nitty-gritty, give people feedback. Um, they, those nitty-gritty things that make a manager successful. Um, how the business makes money. This is one that often gets missed in the process, but if, if your managers know how the business makes money and they know what their role in that is, they can make informed decisions. If they don't know how the business makes money, you know, they make some silly decisions. One of my landscape clients had a maintenance manager and um, some of the guys on his crew would ride together. They weren't on the same crew, but they would ride together. And so, the, they, you know, two of the guys show up at... 3.30, they're done for the day. You know, the guy who's got the car shows up at 4.30. And the manager never made him clock out. 
He said, you know, he, didn't, he wasn't thinking about how the business makes money and what, you know, what good decisions are. So if you start to teach them how the business makes money, and, you know, which is the goal of the business, they can start to make some better decisions. Um, how to solve problems. You know, a lot of people don't understand. They don't have the mindset to notice a problem, to analyze what's causing the problem, to put solutions in place and make sure they follow through with those solutions until they actually get implemented. Um, it's just a skill. And so if they don't know how to do that, then you end up having to solve all their problems. Um, how to think into the future. Most, you know, many managers I know come into work every day. They, um, they're thinking not, uh, they're thinking day to day. They come in, handle this, whatever happens to be in front of them. But managers need to be able to think a week or two weeks out or even a month out in order to plan for what's next and, and uh, help keep moving their function forward. And um, et cetera. <laughs> That's the whole, you know, buy the book uh, uh, Management for Dummies. I, I love the dummies books. They're so simple, but the et cetera stuff's in there. <laughs> so one thing you want to do is teach them all that, because that helps them be more effective and think for themselves. The other piece to this is, and um, what I want to do is sh share with you, you know, they need to know what their job is. So you know, a lot of people that I talk to have job descriptions. People have job descriptions, you know, you, you hire the person, you give them the job description, they read it, they go, thanks a lot, and they throw it in the trash. That's, that's what job descriptions are, as far as I can tell. But when, when I went around and asked people in different companies, what do you do every day that makes your owner want to give you a paycheck every, every week? You know, people couldn't well articulate that. They really didn't have a clear picture of what their job is and how it adds value to the company. So I created this thing called the job value proposition, which has got three parts to it that I want to share with you that helps, it make, helps them be very clear about what their job is and what they need to do. So the first part of a job value proposition is the job purpose statement. And I'm going to go over this quickly, but there is an attachment in the app that, that summarizes these four slides. So, because I've seen people take pictures. And, but the job purpose statement is if you were meeting them at a cocktail party and you said, oh, you're an operations manager. That's interesting. What do you do? It, job purpose statement is the answer to that question. So a job purpose statement, and everybody's job purpose statement in the company starts the same. The purpose of my job is to help the company grow and make a profit. That's, you know, they're all on the same team. We're all playing the same game. We're all trying to make the business better, grow and make a profit. So you go, okay, that's great, but how do you do it? So this is the cliff note version. You know, I do that by ensuring that the work is delivered on time and on budget. I do that by, you know, ensuring that we give quality service so the customers are happy, you know, and they want to come back. Um, and everybody's job value proposition has this statement, continuously look for better ways to do my job. Because you want them to be thinking about ways to make this thing better. That's the job, that's like the cliff note version. So let's say 
you know, this is a really not a very interesting cocktail party, but so you go, oh, that's really interesting. How do you ensure that the work is completed at or below estimates? And if you drill down on that, that's what the second part of the job value proposition is. The second part is the key job requirements. It outlines the steps that the person needs to take to bring jobs in at or below estimates. And I'll share a couple of them. You know, usually in a job value proposition, there's a list. It's almost like a procedure at a high level. So, you know, I ensure that all crews are trained to maximize their efficiency. Um, I manage equipment and material usage so everybody has what they need before they leave the shop to get their job done. I monitor the progress towards, you know, goals for, for different jobs so that, you know, make sure that we bring them in on time and on budget. And you can see there's a whole list of other things. But, but this is kind of the drill down. So they not only know what the purpose of their job is, they know what else they have to do. That's the success formula. That's kind of outlines their job. And then the last part of it is, so if you do that, how do we measure your success? And the success measures are really linked to the job purpose. So, you know, they, the success measures are gross profit, customer satisfaction, um, identifying at least one new improvement opportunity a quarter, th things like that. So if you look at the top and you look at the bottom, they should be linked. And that gives people a clear picture of what their job is, how they add value, why you want to pay them, what they need to do. It's, it's a good training tool. It's a good hiring tool. It's a good training tool. Um, we use it for um, performance evaluations. So we use the job value proposition statement to rate them because it's not something that we're going to throw in the trash. This is something we're going to use and make it live. Um, we use it for development plans, um, lots of things. A lot of my clients, I make them memorize the job purpose statement so they at least know that part. But if you do those things, you've now given them the basic skills. They know how to manage. They know what their job is and what things they need to do every day or every week to get the job done. So now you're ready to let go and support them in, in becoming more independent. So this is where you, you got to give them support um, and gradually let go. And there, there are many ways that you can do this. Because um, it's scary. It's really scary. I mean, I'm, I like to make fun of it, but it's, it's, this is your business. If you let go too quickly and they fail, it, it just hurts the business, you and them. Um, so you want to do it gradually. Back to the question that you had over here was, you know, sometimes, sometimes um, you may break the job up into pieces. Uh, one of my landscape clients had an operations manager, and he was responsible for three different functions, maintenance, uh, uh, construction, and, and sprinkler and lighting. And it's a lot. So his first year, the owner said, I'm just going to let you run maintenance. And once you learn how to manage that, then I'll give you another piece. So that it wasn't overwhelming him. So you don't just do cold turkey, let go. You give them 
safe risks and kind of expand what they do as, as they grow and you get trust with them. The most important, in my eyes, and there's a lot of things you can do during this phase, but the most important thing that I think you need to do during this phase is, is have weekly one-on-ones with your managers. A lot of times, once you put them in place, you kind of let them go do their thing and manage kind of on the fly. You know, you're in the office, they're in the office, you see each other, you go, oh, well, I've got you here. Let me see what you're doing for the week and let me give you some delegation and let me do this. And they're not listening. They don't have a piece of paper. They don't have a pen. In fact, they're going to the bathroom and all they want to do is get away from you so they can, you know. It's way better to have one-on-one -on -one meetings every week. Yes? Quick question. I promise this is not an excuse for being hands-off. What if you have a guy who treats with this, he swears, he learns by doing it, wants to start doing it, and you're wanting to be a little more thorough and gradual? Um, I, you let, the, let the rope out gradually. You know, that, that's my best suggestion is you, there, somebody in one of my peer groups suggested this idea of a, a safe risk. So what, are you, what are you willing to let them do that if they fail, you, you know, you won't put you in the poorhouse? <laughs> and um, and uh, by giving them enough space, uh, you know, that you let them make decisions and grow, but not so much space that if they fail, it's going to hurt. So a lot, a lot of times, um, you, you say, well, you can spend this much money a month or this much on different items, but anything over that I need to. Or you can estimate projects up to this level, above this level I want to see them. Or you know that, that kind of stuff. That's putting sort of what I call empowerment parameters on them. And then when they do that well for a while, then you can give them a little bit more space. Um, but when you have one-on-one -on -one managers, it, the, the, the great thing about having one-on-one -on -one meetings, I mean, is that you get to touch them every week. You get to see what they did last week. You get to see what they're doing in progress. You get to see what they're planning to do for the week ahead. Um, you can uh, help them solve problems. You can mentor them. There's a lot of things you can do. But, um, and let me just share that with you. So this is kind of what you cover. You cover the same thing every week. You know, it's like discuss last week's results and objectives. So if their job is to bring jobs in on time and on budget, let's talk about the jobs you brought in and how they fared. Because if you keep bringing them back to the things that are important, they will start to pay attention and learn how to do those things. Your attention is a huge, um, is a huge driver of accountability. If, if they're responsible for delivering job profit, but you never ask them about it, how much attention do you think they're going to pay to it? But if you ask it every week and you talk about the ones that were you know, above, uh, above over budget and under budget and you talk about what happened and why and how they could do better, they start to learn. So, um, oops, got two there. Identify problems and take corrective action, whether they bring them to you or you identify them. Um, follow up on tasks that you delegated. If you asked them to do some things last week, this is a good time to say, well, tell me what, what you did. That's some accountability. Um, you can coach and mentor them. It's a great place to just coach and mentor. Um, 
and then decide on what next steps are for the week. And uh, it's just a really efficient way to keep them moving in the right direction. So I just want to say one thing about these meetings. These meetings are for them to come and, come and tell you, brief you on what they've been doing. I'm going to say that again. They are supposed to come and brief you. Now, there's a, I see a question back there. You know, I've been constantly amazed that it's how different. <laughs> if I were doing them, I'd do them Monday because I want to know what they're up to. And, you know, I've seen people do them on Fridays too. But, uh, yeah. And, but you want to find a time of the day when you can do it every week. These are not optional. They're mandatory. So, you know, what usually happens is you schedule them out for the whole year and the, next, the first week, they come unprepared, the second week they don't show up, and the third week you're not doing them anymore. You know, <laughs> it's like you got to keep saying, no, these are mandatory, and you need to come with the information. And if you do that and you hold your ground, they, they, they will start to really pay big dividends. In fact, in my, one of my peer groups, I have five guys in this peer group, and one of them, I coached for a while, and he would not do these one-on-one -on -one meetings. and then. He, at one of our peer group retreats, he said, he said to the other four guys, he goes, guys, do I really need to do this? Bill says I need to do this. And every one of them said, just do it. <laughs> you know, there were some swear words in there, but they said, and I don't know why he wouldn't listen to me, but he you know, listened to his peers, and now he's doing them, and they really help. Um, now, they, they, like I said, they're, they're here to, for, you to, for them to brief you. Why is that? Anybody have an idea about why they should come and brief you on what's happening in their department? Make sure they're aware of what's going on. Yeah, it's their department. If you want to take ownership, if you want them to take ownership of their department, they need to know what's going on. <laughs> that it's as simple as that. You know, they're not for you to tell them what to do. They're not for you to say, you know, I I spent an hour looking at the job profit on the jobs you did last week, and you suck. You know, you. I mean, if, they, if it was a bad week, they should come to you and say, I looked at my jobs and I know that it didn't go so well and here's what I'm going to do. It, because when you do this, they become dependent on you. When, they, when you expect this from them, they start to be thinking for themselves. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, and you know, these weekly meetings give you an opportunity to spin them in the right direction. It's a time saver for you because if you know what they're doing, then you don't have to lose sleep wondering whether they're doing the right thing and constantly text or phone them to say, hey, what's up? How are you doing? And by the same token, these meetings cover a lot of ground so they don't have to bother you as much. So you actually save time by spinning them in the right direction. And the most important thing is it builds trust. Do you, you all know about the trust bank? Anybody heard of the concept of the trust bank? How many people heard about trust bank? So, so I will tell you about trust bank. This is really, I, I don't know. Obviously, I didn't make this up. But, but it's, I think it's a powerful concept, and that is every time somebody says what they're going to do and they do it, they make a deposit in the trust bank. Every time they say they're going to do something, they don't do it, there's a withdrawal. 
but the more coins they put in the trust bank, the more you know that when they say they're going to do something, it's as good as done. What does that do for you? Builds trust, makes it so you can start to let, huh? Yeah, makes the bank bigger, and, and so you can let go. When, you put, when they put a lot of coins in the bank, you start to feel like you can really let go. And they may screw up and take a big, you know, big, take a big withdrawal, but you know, when, they, when they do what they say they're going to do, it builds trust and it allows you to let go. So that gives you the confidence to start letting go of the bike seat and you know, let them be more independent. So part of independence and empowerment is you have to let them. And it's a, it's a trust-building process. And um, those meetings are a great way to facilitate that trust. 10, 15, 20 minutes? Like, what do you think of the Hour. <laughs> I say an hour. You know, sometimes they're a half hour. If you can get through all that stuff in, in, in a half hour, great. But, but this is not where you want to shortchange. You actually save yourself a lot of time by having thorough meetings and coaching them on what they need to be coached about. It can. You know, some people say you shouldn't do like coaching kinds of things over lunch because people stuff food in their mouth as a way of avoiding uh, saying the things they need to say. But, you know, if lunch works, it, you know, you just have to have them. And they have to be consistent. And, and you want to have the same agenda all the time so that you don't have to every week create a new agenda. Uh, if we meet with a manager every week, what is advisable to meet with all the workers once a month? Or that brings me to that question. It, 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 it's all a little... the workers we meet ever or not? Or... Well, some people do. You know, if you have an operations manager, you meet with them once a month, once a week. Some people will then have a... Uh, the operations manager will have once a week meetings with the crew leads, you know, and then you may have a, a, a monthly meeting with everybody to let them know what's going on. So the, these meetings are, I know they seem like a pain in the butt because they're meetings, but they, if you run them well and you keep them organized, they can be real, really efficient ways of running your business and freeing you up to do other things. So I want to go just into, into phase, um, Phase three, which is the independence phase. And this is where, you know, now they know how to ride, now you need to teach them how to be empowered. You know, empowerment's a lot about thinking for yourself, making good decisions, and being, you know, self-sufficient. And so this phase is really all about self-sufficiency. And, you know, I like the three phases, you can do empowerment in phase two. You know, there's a, that's why there's overlap between the phases. But you empower them to act independently, and they take personal responsibility for the function. Now, I just want to—I want to give you a concept. Um, I hope it's meaningful. But but at the beginning in phase one, you're holding them accountable, right? The whole term of holding people accountable means that you're doing all the holding, right? You're, if you stop holding them, then they won't be accountable. That's kind of the concept, right? That's phase one. 
Phase two, you're learning how to let go. Phase three, which is over here. I don't know why it's over here, but it, <laughs> it's better than me standing in front of the light. Phase three, they're, they're actually taking personal responsibility. Over there, you're holding them. Here, they've taken it. It's like a relay race, right? You know, in a relay race, there's that point in the middle of the race where you got your hand out, somebody's holding the baton, you're holding your hand, trying not to wiggle too much, but you don't, they don't let go until you take. So the goal of this process is to gradually stop holding them and gradually start to teach them how to take this responsibility on their own. I, I think that's an important concept. Um, and in this phase, you know, that, that's what you're teaching them. You're teaching them to think for themselves. And there are a lot of ways that you can do that. And I, I just want to share two of them with you. And then we'll have some more questions and wrap up. But we have plenty of time. Um, I just want to share two. And one of them is it's important to start involving them in bigger business decisions. Um, one of the things that, that I do a lot of my clients, we have planning meetings, either virtually or I go and visit them. And um, they'll have their managers there. And the great thing about that is, is they get to participate in setting goals for the year. They get to participate in determining what areas need to be improved in the business to move the business up to the next step. Um, they get to debate you know, uh, financial things and understand how business decisions are made. And by involving them in business decisions like that, or you know, other smaller business decisions, they start to really, the light bulbs start to go off about, oh, this is why we do this, or this is why we made that decision, or this is how we made that decision, or, oh, that's what thinking into the future looks like. And those things start to you know, teach them about empowerment and how to um, you know, be self-sufficient. Does that make sense? It's, it's really good. Sometimes, you know, the first couple planning meetings are not always so great, but we even set goals. I have them, you know, we, we, we go review last year's financials, then we say, well, let's set goals for 2022. And I, basically what I do, and this may sound silly, but I just have everybody write a goal. So if they were at 2.5 million, I say, okay, what do you guys think we should be next year? And everybody writes a number down. You know, it's kind of arbitrary, but, and some people, you know, so some, one person will say 2.6, another person will say 3 million, and we just list them all, and then we have a discussion. Why did you say 2.6 when he said 3 million? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? And you start to hear people's logic, and um, it just starts to fill out the picture of how businesses work and how people make decisions. It's, um, it's fun. And the, and it, the more years you do it, the more you start to see the depth of their thinking start to grow. The other thing that I like to do is to challenge them to um, put a punch list together for their department. You know, I kind of think about their department. You know, you just promoted somebody into operations and they've been, you know, you've gone through some phases and they know what's going on. And I like to sort of tell them that, you know, this is like a fixer, fixer upper house. You got this fixer upper house and you want to make it 
you know, the house you really want it to be, or <laughs> you want to fix everything so you can flip it. But so you have to kind of mentally walk around in your operations department and say, what? It's not working very well. You know? It's a little bit of a challenge, but you go, you know, this isn't working very well, or I need to fix this, or we need another crew lead, or, you know, we have, and they just make, I, make a list of 10 or 20 items. What you're doing is actually getting to think about their function as if they actually own it, which they do. Um, and then we prioritize, you know, what's the most important thing you could do that would make the biggest difference in the business? And that starts to get them to think about the function and tune into what's working and what's not working. And things like that start to make them think more independently, to be more self-sufficient, to, you know, to be empowered. And, and that's the name of the game. That's what you want them to do. Um, so before, we, before I wrap up, so what questions do you have about this? We have a, I think we have to be out here like 10 after, but so we, we have time for questions. What questions does, yeah? So when you're talking with your foreman, you want to discuss profits and loss and let him know. You talk dollar value, job's X amount of dollars, here's our profit, here's our payroll. You talk percentage, I need to have this done in 120 man hours. There's an X amount percentage of materials, and we need to be a percentage above this. You can do either. I mean, I, I actually believe that you should talk about dollars and cents, but you know, there's different schools of thought on that. There's a, um, what is the guy, Jack Stack or Jack something, you know, the great game of business. It's open book management. He believes in, you know, telling people what sales are, what your gross profit is, you know, material labor costs, um, because that's the only way that they're going to really understand how this machine works. You don't have to get into great detail if you're talking about the business. You don't have to say, well, this is how much I make and this is how much they make, but in broad strokes, the more they understand about what a P&L is and how it works and how they impact it, the better they're going to be. Um, so I'm leaning towards that side. But if you don't do that, giving them hours and material you know, percentages is, is a good start. Because at least they have something they can track and monitor, right? And try and figure out how to, how to do better. Yes. Yeah, it's a good, great question. How many, um, how many of you are not owners? <laughs> Raise your hand. Because the, the question was, if you didn't hear it, is, you know, I'm a you know, project manager slash general manager. Does this work for me? Yes, it does. It's the same things, just at a different, you know, different part of the organization. But it works the same. works great. Other questions? Oh, there's one. Hi. Thanks. So, um, do you have a book or do you recommend a book that give us like, some guidance on questions? Like, I know like, there's a couple of really good books out there. Like, uh, there's Thrive. It helps with you know, asking like, what type of questions to ask when you're in those meetings. Well, that list is what I always do. 
yeah, what's not working? What did you know? It, it, it does, you know, as a, as a business coach, you want, this is the most powerful question I ever ask. So we get on a call, Zoom call, whatever. The first thing I always say is, how's it going? <laughs> and a lot of times the answer to that just spins the entire conversation. Sometimes it's, eh, it's okay. And then you go, well, I'm not buying that. What's not okay about this? And then you get all this information, and it just gives you things to coach on and but yes, they, you know, you want to know um, what they did last week and what they accomplished, what they're doing this week, you know, uh, what challenges they're having. But a lot of coaching just happens on the fly. You know, you'll hear something and you just jump on it and that becomes a, a meaningful coaching point. Yeah, so the question about, you know, how do I know that if I'm going to hire somebody that they're going to be one of those people that are going to take responsibility? And um, I guess if you know me for a while, you know that I have multiple answers to things. <laughs> I can't think black and white. It's all gray, shades of gray. But this, there, there are questions that you can ask that are called like, uh, um, they're like work sample questions. So you give me a situation where you had a problem, where you had to figure out what, the problem was create a solution and, and convince your boss that that was the right thing to do. And then they give you the answer and then you have to drill down. You have to say, well, how did you do that? What made you make that decision? By doing that, you can start to see whether they're just blowing smoke or whether they actually know how to do that. So that's one thing. The, you know, there are um, hiring tests like the DISC. Some, some of those have, um, have uh, uh, evaluations that give you a sense about whether somebody's a self-starter or not. That's the one side. On the other side, you know, I'm back to, but it's partly up to you. You know, you can get a great self-starter and smother them, <laughs> or you can take somebody that doesn't even know that they, are, that they can think the way they think and teach them how to do it, and they can excel. So I'm kind of in the belief that um, you, I, I, not kind of, I'm in the belief that you can take somebody with good values and good skills, and not skills, and you can teach them how to be an empowered manager. It's not all just about hiring somebody that comes fully baked. And you can either grow that or shrink it depending on how you work with them. Yeah. It depends. You know, I wouldn't switch them to salary right away. I know I'm going to say something that sounds like I'm countering everything I just said, but if they don't work out, you know, you, but if they, if, you, if they rise to the occasion and they start doing the things you want, then you can move them to salary. My belief is that the whole company should be involved in profit sharing because 
if everybody has a job value proposition and it says, the purpose of my job is to help the company grow and make a profit, you know, it's like being on a sports team. The purpose of, I may play one position, you may play another, but the purpose of our positions is to help our team win games and win championships, right? And if we win games and win championships and you get, you know, all the glory, I mean, I know that happens in sports, but, but you know, when somebody, when a team wins the Super Bowl, everybody splits. Even the, you know, even the, the uh, equipment manager and folks like that, they get a share and they get a ring because we're all on one team. And I think profit sharing is a great way to knit everybody together and align them to um, doing, doing the right things for the business. There's, there's a good book called Ownership Thinking that you might want to just take a look at. I don't, can't remember who it's written by, but you can just... It's, um, you, you know, the way most of my clients do it is they don't start profit sharing until above a certain level because they need that money for the business. But above that level, they share a percentage of every dollar that the company makes. goes into a pool for the employees, and each employee gets a percentage of that pool depending on how much they make. So if I make 10% of the uh, payroll, then I get 10% of the profit sharing pool. If I make 2% of payroll, then I get 2%. So it's scaled to, you know, with, with pay. How often does that It depends. I mean, I've had some bigger clients do it quarterly. I've had smaller clients do it twice a year or once a year. That's a, um, yeah. <laughs> the question was, where do I see the, the you know, the, the uh, most success? Do you promote from within or uh, hire from outside? And I've seen both work. You know, I, I like hiring from within because it gives people the, you know, the feeling, the true feeling that there's opportunities. That if I work hard and I do a good job, that, you know, there's a path for me. Um, but I've seen folks hire from the outside too and do and have great success as well. Let's see, oh, we're running out a little, little bit out of time, so let me just wrap up. Um, so the key is to support folks through all the phases and not be two hands on or two hands off. Um, if you do that, you know, my experience is, is that 75% of the people that you hire and work with will succeed. I mean, I, was, I, didn't, I didn't even believe that when I started coaching. <laughs> I thought it'd be about 25%. It's a, it's, if you work with them consistently, about 75% of those folks will rise to the occasion and be good. Be good. You know, that's, that, that has wowed me, but I, I truly believe that. Um, the key is that this change takes time. It's not something that's gonna happen overnight. Um, the light bulbs go off for people at different times. Um, you know, you, there's this, I have had a lot of owners over time say, you know, I told them once and they still won't do it. And I say, well, how does that work with your kids? You know, <laughs> it's, you have to tell them over and over until they start to get it. I mean, I, I've had a few operations managers that kind of, op they, they grew a little bit and then the, the, the folks that I've coached and have plateaued and then suddenly, for whatever reason, you know, the 10th time I've told them something, it 
lands differently. And they go, oh, crap, now I get why you've been saying this. And then their behavior goes, you know, they, they, they go through the roof. It can take a year, year and a half to get them to a place where you really want them. But if you're consistent, you'll get them there, which is really a great thing. I mean, um, and the impact on, you know, your business and on your life is huge. To be able to come to something like this and not have to worry about what's happening, you know, in your business, to... Uh, you know, just be able to have a weekend and not be worried about people calling you all the time. It, it, it's, it's a quality of life thing that's you know, unparalleled. Um, so it, it's, and I, you know, as I, over the 13 years of me coaching, I've become more and more centered on, you know, how important it is for you all to have a life. It's important for you to have balance and to be happy and to, uh, be able to go home at night and be present for your kids or whatever, you know. And you carry a heavy load. You don't want to give that up because you look back, you know, when you have hair like me. And, and, and you can feel bad about that. So this is really, really important. So before we go, um, and I can answer a few more questions, but, but uh, you, you all come to meetings like this you know, the, the, the expo, not just this. And you're looking to do things better for your business. And, you know, you, you get things out of each session, but if you're looking to accelerate the process of getting your business to the place where you really want it to be, um, one of the things I do is I offer a one-on-one 60 to 90 minute coaching session with me um, where we talk about where your business is today and where you want it to be and what things you need to do to, to get yourself there. Um, it, you know, I, I don't have a, a lot of space in my life for that, but if you're an owner and your business is a, a, right around a million dollars or bigger, and um, you're at a point in the life of your business where you say, I got to do this. I mean, not, not I got to make change because I want to get my business to where I need it to be. Then. Um, I'm going to be sitting out at the table after this with some sign-up sheets. You, you can sign up. Um, I'll get in contact with you, and we'll set up a time to talk. Uh, it's, it is a coaching session, I, truly. I know, George, true, right? I, uh, you know, if we like each other and you want me to be your coach, great. If you don't, then I feel sad, but it's okay. I'll get over it. But, huh? Yeah, but, um, but I really do it because I like to give back. Um, but I, you know, I don't have an unlimited number of slots, so please, you know, if that's you, awesome. Let's, you know, let's sign up. Let's meet me outside. We'll sign up. We can do it. Um, I want to ask you to do one thing before we go, and then we, if you have questions. You know, uh, please uh, rate this session. Have you done this at other ones? Um, you know what the drill is? You go into the PCA app. You go to schedule, you find my thing, and then you rate me. And, and I really appreciate it, and I appreciate everybody's time and attention, and hope you have a wonderful uh, rest of the expo.
Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.